and welcome to Everybody's National Parks. Today, I will be speaking with two guests. First, I will talk to Sally Hurlbert, who has been with the National Park Service at Shenandoah National Park for 21 years. Sally and I will talk about the different types of hikes available, family-friendly hikes, volunteer days, the park's relationship with its neighbors, and who visits the park. My second guest is my good friend Amy. Amy and her family love to go camping in Shenandoah a few times a year. She and I will talk about what she loves most, and Amy will give us some of her camping and hiking tips. Hello, Sally. Thanks for joining me today. Can you please describe the layout of the park for us? Yeah, it's location. So we have uh, our park is 105 miles long. The Skyline Drive is 105 miles long. And so it's divided into thirds because we have um, only two highways that cross the park. So um, the northern third we call the North District, and that is from Highway 211 to the north. And then we have the Central District, that's Highway 211 to Highway 33. And then we have the South District, which goes from Highway 33 down to Highway 64. So in the three different districts, we, we have a, um, well, in the North District, we have a visitor center that's called Dickey Ridge Visitor Center. And then in the Central District, we have Bird Visitor Center. Then in the South District, we don't have a visitor center, but what we do um, is we have a what we call a mobile visitor center. It's a it's a large van that we can drive down and park in various locations in the southern part of the park to provide information for uh, visitors as they're coming into the South District. Can you describe? Are there special features in each of those three districts? Well. All of our, the whole park is sort of similar. We are on a, um, the Blue Ridge Mountains, so the park is lies on top of the mountains. So it's a quick rise from from the valley on the west to the Piedmont on the east up into the mountains. You're going to gain elevation quickly, and we're it's a forested mountain, and so we have um, similar landscape from the north to the south, and 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 I like to say there's about. One of our biggest um, things that people do in Shenandoah is go hiking. And so there's really four kinds of destinations for our hikes. One of them is vistas, where people can climb up um, on to beautiful viewpoints. Uh, we have waterfalls in all of the districts of the park, so you can hike downhill to, to see some beautiful waterfalls. Uh, a third destination would be historic sites. So people lived here in the mountains before Shenandoah became a park. So you can go down and you can hike along trails and see some of the evidence of some of the former people who lived here in the form of rock walls, um, even a few standing chimneys left over, um, which is interesting to um, see. And then the final um, big destination is the Appalachian Trail. We have 101 miles of the Appalachian Trail that, that goes through the park. And so you can access that trail in numerous places, and whether you walk a, a half a mile or tens of miles, it's such a fantastic trail. That must be pretty cool to hike on the trail and perhaps run into people who are hiking the whole thing. My sister's friend did it many years ago. Not everybody can hike a long distance on the Appalachian Trail, but most people can get out, and even just standing on that trail, you you feel that community spirit of all the people who, who walk on that trail every year. That's really nice, that sense of community. Why don't we talk about favorite hikes? So I mentioned to you that we we have two young children, and so we like to always 
highlight recommendations for kids. But then I'd love to hear your favorites as a whole or special ones, what you recommend. I'll just tell you that in our trip report that we talked about Fox Hollow Hike, Limber Lost, and Lewis Falls Trail. So we mentioned those three. And in my conversation with Amy, we will talk about Little Devil Stairs, Bear Fence, and of course, I think Old Rag is the most famous probably. In the northern part of the park, there's a nice, short, easy trail called the Pass Mountain Trail. That one would be really, really cool for kids. Um, There's also a short trail into a place called Wyndham Rocks, which kids love climbing around on rocks. And and Wyndham Rocks is not that far off the trail, and it's a real interesting um, outcrop of rocks that are all broken and busted up. And it's kind of a fun place for kids to climb around in the rocks. Then in the south part of the park, there's a wonderful trail for kids. It's called Black Rock, and it's about a mile-round trip, and you're on the Appalachian Trail for for a half a mile, and then it leads you to a very um, interesting geological formation where the rocks are all broken and busted up, not much vegetation growing on them, a real fun place to climb around on the rocks. And it's a beautiful destination because you have a, a nice view. And it's not a hard trail. Getting out to those rocks is, is not very difficult, very, very small elevation change. And it seems like it's a one that kids really enjoy. And then favorite hikes that you recommend for anyone visiting the park? And if there's any um, anything special that you want to uh, highlight about them? Yeah. Well... Each district has waterfalls, and some of them are more popular than others. Um, The ones that are the most popular are usually the ones that are the shortest hikes, closest to Skyline Drive. So in the Central District, that would be Dark Hollow Falls, and in the South District, um, Doyle's River Falls. And they are beautiful falls, but if you want to go to some that are a little less visited, that are just equally as beautiful, you just may have to walk a little farther. In the South District, there's the Jones Run Falls, very, very beautiful uh, falls and not as many people on the trail. And in the Central District, uh, you may want to go to um, the South River Falls. isn't quite as busy as Dark Hollow Falls. Um, and in the North District, there's a small waterfall called Lands Run Falls. It's, it's, it's attractive, but it's not quite as spectacular as the other ones. Okay, so it sounds like uh, there's a theme, waterfalls are the, are the popular hikes. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then uh I love to climb to viewpoints and up in the northern part of the park there's a beautiful viewpoint that's not super busy. It's called Compton Peak. It's not that far from the fr- uh the northern entrance to the park. It's at about mile 10 and it's just a lesser known peak, but you do get some spectacular views from the summit. Um, If you're willing to go down a rather steep little side trail from that summit, it will take you to a very spectacular geological formation. It's kind of steep to get down to it, so it wouldn't be a a hike for everybody. But if anybody wants a bit of a challenge, um, you'll just be amazed by how cool the rocks are down in that area. The rocks are ancient volcanic rocks that have cooled and shrunk and formed interesting um, geometric structures that are called columns. And they're just very unique and very spectacular. And do you see that anywhere else in the park or, or just at that location? You do. 
do. Um, there's a really great outcropping of the same kind of um, columns on the Limberlost Trail. They just stick up out of the earth. There's no rocks around them, but you have all of a sudden these cool rocks coming up out of the earth um, along the Limberlost Trail. And you also see them in various places along the Appalachian Trail, too. My husband and kids did the Limberlost Trail last spring, and they talked about those rocks. They said they came out of nowhere and that they were very cool and um, just let their imaginations run wild. Uh, In fact, my oldest took out her sketch pad and made some drawings, and I'm sure my uh, youngest was pretending she was on a spaceship or something. So that is definitely a hike that kids like. And are there any other hikes that you would like to highlight in South or Central? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, a hike that most kids can do. I've seen kids as young as five or six doing it is to climb up to the top of uh, Hawksbill Mountain, which is our highest peak in the park. And there's two ways to get to the top of Hawksbill. One's a little shorter than the other, but I actually prefer the longer route uh, going up the Appalachian Trail to the Salamander Trail up to the summit because I feel like it takes you through a more diverse landscape and across some real pretty uh, open slopes where you can get some vistas. So that's that's always a fun hike to go up to the top of Hawksville. Okay. And is that in um, north, central, or south? That was in the central district. Okay. And maybe give you one more example in the south district of a, of a real pretty trail that is not as heavily traveled as others. It's called the Rip Rap Trail. And it's a little long. Three, It's 3.4 miles round trip. So you'd want to take plenty of time, especially if you have kids, to go out there and back. But it takes you out to two outstanding viewpoints. Um, one is called Calvary Rocks, and the other is called Chimney Rocks, and they're within a half mile of each other. And the rocks are just spectacular in that area. And I think children just love rocks because they love to climb around on them. So I always recommend taking kids to places like that. Am I right in saying Old Rag is probably the most traveled in terms of hikes? Yep. Old Rag is our busiest uh, trail in the entire park. Um, We average about over 80,000 people who climb Old Rag every year. It is not for young children. It's pretty hard to get to the top of Old Rag. It would be for more, um, you know, middle school age to teenage kids. You might get some younger ones, but I wouldn't. I probably would be really careful about going up with a child under six up there. Because uh, it, it is a rock scramble at the top, so there's some difficult spots. Um, it's not for everybody. It's a very challenging hike. It's a over 2,000 foot elevation gain uh, from the, where you begin the trail to the summit, and it is a rock scramble. So you have to be able to use your hands and your feet to get around and up and over the rocks. But I think that's part of why it is so popular because it is a challenge, and people enjoy that. Uh, my recommendation, if you do do old rag, is to go on a weekday if possible, because weekends are extremely busy, and to try to get there as early in the morning as possible to uh, be able to get parking in the parking lot. Okay, and does it get dangerous with the crowds? Are there any um, very narrow parts to it, or you just have to wait and be patient and take it slow? You have. <laughs> Yeah, you have to wait and be patient. There's narrow chasms that you have to go through, and some of them take a while for people because they have to climb up, you know, fairly large ledges. And so there's just a, sometimes on a busy weekend there could be a waiting line of people waiting to get through those narrow passages. Okay. 
All right. Well, I, I do remember uh, uh, climbing old rag pre-children, and mm-hmm. it was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun. Uh, just Safety-wise, just making sure that people bring plenty of water with them. One of our big... One of our issues on on many of our trails is people not bringing enough drinking water on a hot sunny day in the summertime, and and so just making sure you don't get dehydrated, bring plenty of water. Okay, and snacks. <laughs> um, and what about other activities? I've uh, seen but don't know too much about um, that. There's fishing, I believe, canyoneering and rock climbing. I know there's horseback riding. What? Um, are there, is there anything else and is there any information that you would advise um, to people about activities and how to go about those? Well, yes, there's fishing. We, we do have um, fishing is allowed in any of the streams, but only some of the streams allow you to actually keep the fish. Most of them are catch and release, but we do have a, um, about a dozen streams or so that are open for harvest. You do have to have a Virginia fishing license and abide by all the rules of the state of Virginia. And then Shenandoah actually has a few of their own rules. So you would want to go online and and download the regulations or stop by one of the visitor centers and pick up those regulations before you go out. Um, Some people go rock climbing in Shenandoah. There's um, um, our concessioner, Delaware North, actually offers rock climbing lessons and guided um, trips with rock climbing experts to take you out. Um, You know, there's the occasional person who comes up and goes hang gliding. You would need a special use permit if you want to do something like that. That's fairly rare. Um, In the wintertime, if it's cold enough, we some of our waterfalls freeze, and, and I've known of people who've come up and gone ice climbing in the wintertime. And that is one thing to remember is that we are open in the winter. Uh, if, the, if Skyline Drive isn't closed because they're waiting to get it plowed, and if the road is open, you can come up and go cross-country skiing or snowshoeing um, or even hiking in the wintertime as well. Oh, that's great. I um, did that for the first time. Uh, this past winter in Yellowstone, and um, I hope to do it again. I was never really a big winter person uh, before that, but now I can't wait to do more winter yeah. snow things. <laughs> um, is there? Great, yeah, it's a great time to come to the park because it isn't as busy. And what I like about it is when all the leaves are down off the trees, you can see through the woods much easier. So you can see more of the landscape. You see more rocks and mosses and lichens, and you can see through to the vistas in many more places in the wintertime than you can in the summertime. The other thing that's neat is the low sun angle of the light coming through the trees and and the shadows on the landscape. It's it's just a real pretty photogenic time of year, too. Is there information on the website? The visitor centers are closed, so in terms of recommendations on where to cross-country ski or snowshoe? No, we really don't have much about it on our website. I would just say, um, like, the Big Meadows area, which is really flat. You know, it depends on what you'd be looking at. The fire roads that go off the drive that don't get plowed might be a good place to cross-country ski. Just keeping in mind there's some steep drop-offs. So, you know, we don't have guardrails and things like that. So you'd have to be pretty careful if you're going to go down hill on your skis. Snowshoeing would probably be a little safer because you don't get going as fast. Any other activities we didn't already talk about? 
Well, backcountry camping, we have um, the whole park is open to backcountry camping with some restrictions as to where, but um, you have to, and you have to get a permit before you come. But there's a lot of backcountry camping that, that, that takes place year round here in the park. And you can get um, uh, permits for that for the wintertime as well. Yeah. Okay. I was curious to know, do you have, do you have a sense of, um, who's visiting your park and is it mostly day trippers, campers, uh, people from the East coast or not a day's drive from the park or people traveling from all over the country and the world? Well, you know, it's a little bit of all of that. Um, uh, very, I would say the majority of the visitors are not from the local area. We definitely get local people up, but we get a lot of people who are traveling from, you know, on large trips around the country, up and down the East Coast, people who have come over from um, all around the world to fly into D.C., and we're such a short drive from Washington, D.C., we do get a lot of international visitors um, that's why it's so much fun. Every time I would do a ranger program, I would always begin my program by asking, where's everybody from? And have go around the circle and have everybody say. And I was amazed sometimes how far away people were visiting from, you know, Asia and Africa and, and just really distant areas coming to the national parks of the United States. It's just we're well known around the world. And Shenandoah is close to the D.C. cosmopolitan area, so we do get a lot of cosmopolitan visitors here. Great. And um, visiting at different times of the year, is is the busiest summer or fall? I, I was wondering about that. Our busiest month is October, and that's because people want to come up and see the fall colors. Right. And about the Every bit, every year we get people calling and asking, when is the peak going to be? We can never pinpoint a specific day because it varies throughout the park. We'll start to get the really spectacular autumn colors um, in the high country at the higher elevations, and then it slowly works its way down the mountain. And so we always tell people the peak usually happens between the second and third week of October. Okay. And uh, and so at that time, it, it, same thing, you're getting people from everywhere um, and not just local yeah. people? Yeah. And this is that, it's interesting. We do get a lot of day trippers in October, people who just come up and want to spend the day and then they leave at the end of the day. So it ends up causing a lot of traffic issues with people just trying to get into the park. Um, so just keep that in mind if you come in October that you may be waiting a little bit in line waiting to get into the park. So definitely arrive early if you're visiting the park on an October weekend. Sally, could you tell us about volunteer opportunities and how to find out about them? Some of our volunteer days are annual days uh, where we have um, we invite volunteers to come up and help us with um, projects that require a lot of people, like, say, um, helping to eradicate invasive uh, plants. We'll kind of have a group come up and they'll they'll learn what the invasive plants are. Then they'll send them out on the various trails throughout the park to help pull those weeds and help us try to ma um, manage our invasive species. So the way to find out about those events, we have um, National Public Lands Day is one that we do every year. It's usually towards the end of September. And we have a special events page on our website, and that's where the volunteer days will be listed. Okay. And... Uh, I'm also wondering about 
the park's relationship with the local community. We didn't talk about the history of the park, and um, I hope that we'll cover that um, in depth in another podcast. But um, I don't know if you want to give perhaps a, a quick little um, overview. And is there is there any um, issues, collaboration, or conflict with uh, the community surrounding the park? Well, we're trying really hard to have good relationships with the communities around the park because of the way Shenandoah was established and people were were moved off the park, some willingly, but many not willingly. You know, there's a lot of uh, resentment that has built up over the years from the descendants of people who were moved off the park. And so we really want to make good relationships with the surrounding communities. So we have um, several um, groups that are we've organized to help with make good relationships. And one of them is called Celebrate Shenandoah. And it was born out of our 75th anniversary, which was uh, about six years ago. And we got together representatives from all the counties that surround the park and created this group and um, worked together to create a celebration event here in the park, like a, like a big party that we had. It was a full-day event. And we brought in all these community partners, and um, it was a very successful event. And so we've decided that was such a great collaboration that that committee or that group still is in existence. And we meet um, several times a year and talk about how we can all help each other out because we realize it's just a the park is a great draw to bring people into this area. And we create a really good economic impact on the surrounding communities. Um, we... Uh, some of the studies have shown that we generate over $80 million of revenue that goes into the surrounding communities. So they realize that that's a good thing economically for them. So that's that's one um, organization that we have with the local tourism directors and the local county planners and administrators. We all are, are trying to help each other out and move forward. Um, and there's another one that's called the Blue Ridge Committee for Park um, Relationships. It's a smaller group, but also we get together twice a year and we talk about what are the issues facing Shenandoah, what are the issues facing facing the counties, and how can we help each other? Because some of the some issues, they you know there's they they see no boundaries like invasive plants or um, diseases that might affect our wildlife. You know, they don't stop at the park boundary. They or they don't stop at a county boundary. They affect all of us. So we all want to be on the same page with how we're going to deal with some of the, our emerging threats. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, that sounds like a good organizations working together. Um, oh, I have a good friend who volunteers with the Potomac Appalachian Trail Club, and so I believe that they help to maintain and and fix up trails in Shenandoah or out or maybe outside they do yeah they're one of our yeah they're a huge help to us we have um the um, Potomac Appalachian Trail Club they not only maintain the 101 miles of the Appalachian Trail but they also help us maintain many of our side trails and we couldn't do it without the volunteer work that they offer us it's just a wonderful relationship we have with them 
The um, other partner that we have that's really helpful to us is the, is the Shenandoah National Park Trust, and they're uh, what we call our philanthropic partner. So uh, they raise money on behalf of Shenandoah through donations and, and fundraising events that they have, and then they give back to us money that we can use for many different projects in the park that we wouldn't be able to pay for out of the money we get from Congress and other um, ways that the park gets funding. This year, they're, they've given us over $400,000 to support about 17 different projects in the park. So that's a really wonderful relationship we have with them. That's basically a, a friends group for Shenandoah? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know how many visitors you had last year for the centennial? Last year in 2016, we had 1.45 million visitors to the park. Wow. Thank you so much. Is there any uh, final thoughts, final tips, um, anything else that you would want people to know uh, to uh, help them with their visits to Shenandoah? Well, I'd say the two things before you come is, is, is learn about us from the website. There's just a wealth of information on the website. And then always check the weather before you come, uh, just to make sure that there's nothing, no weather um, events coming our way. Uh, sometimes we have big tropical storms that blow through in the wintertime and, you know, remnants of hurricanes, um, ice storms, snowstorms in the winter. Just always good to see, see what the weather's doing before you come so you can plan accordingly. Okay, great. Sally Holbert, thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, you gave us so much good information, and um, I can't wait to uh, get back to Shenandoah. Well, thank you so much. I hope you'll come, and I hope uh, we'll continue with this great visitation we're having uh, since the centennial. It just seems like um, our numbers have, have risen, and I'm just really thankful that people are going out and visiting their national parks. Me too. And um, that is what inspired us to uh, take on this endeavor for everybody's national parks. My second guest today is my good friend, Amy. Amy and her family visit Shenandoah at least once a year for camping and hiking. And uh, she is here to tell us about some of her experiences. Amy, thanks for joining us today. Would you like to start by telling us why you love Shenandoah? Sure. Danielle, there are so many reasons that we really enjoy spending time in Shenandoah with our young son. He's eight now, and he's grown up in the park. We love hiking and camping and chasing butterflies and writing poetry and discovering everything about the parks. Um, We have a really good time there. That sounds magical. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start going to Shenandoah with your son? Well, um, we probably started when he was around three. We waited until he could walk himself. And um, and then we just started kind of hiking really slowly at first, uh, small, short hikes. And then what we found is that he really loved the climbing part of the hiking. Um, so getting out of the flat areas was something that he was kind of pushing us to do. So we sort of moved on to short little hikes like um bare fence that he really loved and the ones that he loves we always return to and then we always try to try something new. I remember when he was little you did rainbow hikes with him. What is that? Yeah that was one of the ways especially when little he'd get excited about the hiking but that some moments he'd maybe flag a little bit and need a, a little motivation. So we would come up with the fun things like we would say 
um, who can find all the colors of the rainbow first. And it was really surprising is even to me as an adult, um, you'd think, oh gosh, it's going to be hard to find purple or it might be hard to find blue. But if you really start looking around, you can find such a diversity of color that it's really a nice experience. So whoever could get all the colors of the, rainbows down for, of the rainbow down first was the winner. And um, it really eats up 20 minutes of your hike. So it's good. And that's a great way to engage kids and get them enjoying and looking around. Probably the easiest of the hikes that you like to do. Can you tell us about Bear Fence? Oh, Bear Fence is great because they have something called a rock scramble. And anytime that they describe a hike with a rock scramble, definitely in on doing that. So rock scrambling is just you have some sort of bald rocks and you're climbing over them. It gives them more of a sense of, of rock climbing, although... It's definitely easy enough for anybody to do. As opposed to walking in the woods, it's a little bit more climbing over rocks, which is something he really likes. And that that hike is approximately an hour. How long? Do you remember how long that hike is? I remember it it doesn't take too long. Probably take about an hour. Okay. And um, what are some of your favorite hikes that you like to do now? Well, we really like Old Rag because it's really fun. I mean, it it takes a long time to get up and down. But um, Old Rag is one of our really fun ones. Once you get up there, it's really beautiful. It's nice to eat lunch up there. And then there's uh, Little Devil's Staircase, which is super fun because it goes straight up. And you can come straight down, too. And there's a waterfall next to it. So um, those are some of the hikes that we really, really like now. And how many hours do those hikes take, approximately? Well, I mean, the guides pretty much give you a good indication of how much it's going to take you to to do a hike. They're a a relatively good guide. Um, You can probably go a little bit faster than what they indicate. but um, So it it takes you as a family around seven or eight hours? Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could take about it could take about that. And then, you know, it depends on what you want to get out of the hike. If you're stopping a lot, it can take a lot longer. Um, The important thing is that you budget in enough time so that it's not getting dark before you're coming off the mountain. So starting out early is always nice. That is incredibly impressive. My kids are definitely not at that level ready to do major hikes like that. Um, I think Bear Fence would be a good place to start with them. We've done some hikes in in the park, but um, especially my little one would not be ready for old rag. Does it get very crowded? It can definitely get um, a little bit crowded. That can sometimes be frustrating. I'm sort of okay with it, but um, my husband can sometimes get frustrated because what happens is if you get a little bit more of a difficult area in the hike, um, sometimes people, individuals need to go slower in that area. And so it sort of backs other other people up. But you can sort of choose the time of day that you start out to kind of help you with that to make sure there's not too much um, you know, traffic on the mountain. And um, it depends on the weekend that you go. Like some of the bigger weekends, you're probably going to see a lot of people up there, definitely. So are there any parts of the hike that are precarious? And did you feel afraid for either yourself or particularly for your son? Well, so last year when he was seven, there is one place that is not really dangerous, but it does give you a sort of insecure feeling. You do, you have to kind of jump a crevasse, right? And that part was a little bit dicey. So I just sat on one side. So I went over and then I sat on one side and I sort of like reached my legs out across the crevasse. It's a very small crevasse, but it's the psychological 
thing of it. And so since I was just there with him, um, he was able to sort of jump it. Like I could kind of like hold his hand a little bit and help be just an assistance, just a reassurance. And then I went to do that again this year. And before I got to sit down, he just jumped it. So once they've done it once, you pretty much be ready for them to do it by themselves the next time. That That's very impressive. Um, so does he complain? Does he get tired when, when you're doing a big hike like that? Or because there's so much rock scrambling, does that just keep him moving? He gets to climb. He's adventurous. Well, the rock, you know, the rock scrambling and the, diff- the, the interest of the hike, you know, if there's a lot to look at, if there's views, that definitely motivates the kids. That's probably the best thing that you can do to motivate them. If it's very flat and not challenging, it may be less effort, but they do get bored. I get bored. So keeping it interesting, having interesting things for them to see and do when they're, when they're climbing definitely helps. And then we have also started, we would get a, a little packet of M&Ms. And as you go through, you see the different blazes to know that you're staying on the track. And so we would say for every blaze or every two or three blaze, whatever the rule would be for that particular hike, um, you get an one M&M for each one of the blazes that you get. And so then they're sort of looking forward and they want to be the first one to, to notice the blaze. So it can be kind of a fun and, you know, relatively chocolate's good for you, right? So And keeps them moving. It keeps them moving, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I would say is you should probably try to avoid as much as you can the, like, holding hands and helping them with the hiking because you can go slower, definitely, but... They're sort of the idea of the whole hiking is that they would develop their own balance and be able to analyze a rock and how you would position yourself. So use the least amount of effort to get somewhere, get yourself up and get yourself down safely. And that sort of develops the kind of skills that they're going to call upon when they're, you know, the more that they hike. So you want to have that kind of like hands off kind of attitude about it. Give them the time that they can. Don't put any pressure on them. Let them figure it out. But it's it's nice to make sure that they're doing it on their own and that maybe they have an empty pack on their back, but it's empty and, you know, they carry a little something too. Oh, that's a great idea. I think where we'd eventually like to get is, you know, do some real hiking out to places where we can camp. And we're definitely not going to carry everything for him when we go out camping um, that kind of way. So When you're backpacking. Um, and, uh, so what other tips do you have for doing a serious hike with kids? Just anything that you would remember to do with adults too. Um, just making sure that you give yourself enough time. You try not that you don't, you know, that you give yourself the time to be in the moment and work through difficult situations in the hike and not, you know, there's no need for you to rush. You just kind of move through and analyze where you're hiking and, take the time that it takes and that's important and then packing light is always good and then bringing enough water so all those things if you don't want a thirsty kid that's definitely a grumpy kid (laughs) and grumpy adult too um and do you play any games along the way well one of the things that we've gotten into is um telling stories because at certain moments and hikes they could be a little bit it can be a little bit monotonous. And so telling stories. So my husband and my son tell a sort of interactive story. And whenever they start a hike, that same story comes back up. It's kind of like a uh, a very uh, Dickensian kind of drama that has the same 
people that come, the same characters that come back, you know, every time we're hiking and they have, they act in a very characteristic way and they extend these sort of adventure stories. They're, you know, half mythology, half superhero, but they're really fun and they're extremely chatty to with each other on the ch- hike and it, it passes the time and it's, it's kind of a fun memory, I think. And does he sometimes record his stories? Or he's just, uh, they're just telling the stories to each other as you're walking? Well, um, so when you get back to the campsite, if you're hiking and camping at the same time, you can, that's really the kind of like around the campfire is the kind of time where you sort of record your sort of thoughts for the day or some of the stories come out and are, are either my husband writes them down for him or he writes them down himself. And we have all these notebooks with, all the drawings that you can do when you're hiking, you stop for a few minutes and you draw a flower or a mushroom. And so in these, the, we never leave on our hikes without the kind of notebooks that you can take stories, write poems, or record your favorite poems to have with you when you're there. Um, and the drawings, and, and they make a really nice keepsake. So you mentioned that you camp there a lot. Um, can you tell us about your camping experience and um, and how how to reserve or how far in advance you reserve the campsite? Well, we've had a lot of luck with getting last minute um, places at the, at camping at Shenandoah because they always reserve some um, last minute camping sites. So that's generally what we do. And if you get there before 11 o'clock on a Friday or a Saturday, you're probably going to find a spot. Um, the, the, the campsites are very similar one to the other, and it's kind of car camping is the camping that we've done. They also have cabins, um, but we we like our tent. And um, some of the some of the campsites, if you reserve ahead of time, there are some campsites where you have a tiny little walk in, which is kind of neat. But um, yeah, the camping's pretty simple, um, and it's car camping. Um, but the hiking is so amazing that it's really great to be there to wake up in the tent to get going really early. And, uh, you know, come back and it's come back to the site and it's nice. Do you, do you tend to camp near where you're going hiking and do you plan where you're going hiking in advance before your trip or you just kind of see where your campsite is and plan your hike depending on where you end up? Well, we just get whatever campsite ends up, you know, and you pretty much drive to all the campsites too. There are some smaller sort of hikes around campsites, which can be nice for if you have really little children to just, you know, take a little, take, take advantage of some of those closer hikes. A little hikes. walk in the woods. Yeah. The kind of walk in the woods and there, they can have some nice hikes too. Um, but we basically know which ones we're, we're going to do. Like if we're going to do old rag, we're excited about the old rag weekend. Um, so we, everything's around the hike. And uh, where do you like to camp? Because obviously it's a, huge park uh, near the northern district or central well since we're coming from dc it's pretty much easiest the easiest and fastest place for us to get into the park is the north entrance entrance of the park so we're pretty much always going up there um once you're in the park you can drive down all the way to the you know extreme south of it and get a to get a spot but there'll be other people coming in at the south So the time it takes you to get down there, you could lose your sight. So we're pretty much in the north because we're coming from D.C. Um, And we really like Big Meadows. It's it's nice. It's a nice um, campsite. There's a lot there. They also there are also places to eat within the park if you don't feel like 
cooking at the campsite. If it rains, we've had terrible, terrible rains when we've been camping where basically the whole campsite just like gets in their car and drives out to the lodges and everybody's in the lodge because it's just a torrential rainpour. And you're able to get a room or you just... Uh... No, we we didn't get a room. <laughs> we just came in for dinner because you, okay. couldn't, you couldn't make a fire. So everybody else who couldn't make a fire, everybody just went to the lodge and everybody's waiting in line for tables at the, at the lodge. But it was a really um, cozy kind of feel because everybody was coming out of, in out of the rain and everybody was playing checkers and chess together and um, chatting and... You know, it was very, it was very cozy with everybody <laughs> in the same circumstance. And then we went back and slept in the tent in the rain, which is fun. Okay. It sounds like a fun bonding experience. It is, yeah. And that was at Big Meadows Lodge? Yeah. Big Meadows is quite good like that. Oh, it's beautiful there. I love it there. Amy, will you tell us about uh, the time you camped in Shenandoah and prepared your meals for your weekend according to a particular theme? Well, all right. So we... There's this thing called uh, reenactment history, sort of, uh, this whole culture. And there are these people who dress up and try to live for short periods of time in a very historical kind of way. Lots of times archaeologists do this, and that's something that we've had a kind of interest in. And one of the really kind of neat advantages to that is that, for example, colonial soldiers would be living in in a situation very similar to camping in the Shenandoah. And so we realized that some of the recipes that they would have been preparing, like scotch eggs and um, squash cooked on a hot rock and baked beans, all can be prepared and were prepared on um, campfires. So we decided it would be fun to use some of the recipes that we learned online about online uh, at our campsite, and it works out really, really well. So I would encourage you to go online and find some sort of reenactment history thing and, and come up with a historical meal to take with you. And did everyone enjoy the meal? Yeah, that it, I really feel like they eat pretty well. You know, if they, if they had the food available to them, they could make a pretty decent go of it with the campfire. Yeah. What do you enjoy most about camping and hiking for a weekend in Shenandoah? Well, one of the things that's really nice is the stars that you can see. That's really beautiful, and we really don't see that a lot um, here in, in the city. Um, I just like I like the smell of waking up in the tent in the morning. That's really nice. Um, I like that it's quiet. Um, I like cooking out because I think we eat some. It's pretty delicious, so I really like cooking out, and that's fun. Um, I like collecting the firewood. Um, so a lot of the whole sort of experience is, is kind of nice. It's very, I sleep very well in a tent. So that's my, my honest opinion about it. So I like it a lot. And do you bring, uh, when you're hanging out at the campsite and stuff, do you bring any toys or activities? Well, I mean, we bring the notebook. And sometimes we have like card games, which are kind of fun. That can be nice. Um, and beyond that, then pretty much not because it's really nice to have a pair of binocular binoculars and, uh, look at the birds. It's nice to look at 
the leaves and things that are around. And it's nice to participate, everybody participating in the cooking of the food and the collecting of the wood and the starting the fire. I mean, there's nothing an eight-year-old likes better than uh, having to start the fire. So that kind of thing is what really takes up our time. And then you go to bed early, which is really nice for someone with a young kid because you get a lot of sleep, which is great. You know, you kind of move with the rhythm of, of the day. Um, so and that's really nice. Embrace nature. Yeah. Um, well, that sounds like so much fun. And I love going to Shenandoah myself and my kids are younger, so we have so much more to explore. And, uh, you will definitely be advising us in the future some more. Thank you so much for um, talking with us today and sharing your experiences. Thanks, Danielle. It was fun. Okay. See you again soon. All right. Bye. And that is our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find our show notes on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com. And we will be back again soon talking more about Shenandoah with an interview with biologists talking about the flora and fauna of Shenandoah. And in a couple of weeks, we will be speaking with a few historians uh, about the history of Shenandoah. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, give us your comments, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us, and that is Everybody's National Parks. Bye for now.